I think we've gotten into this place where in womanhood, we have these different phases and we're not supposed to take them along the way with us. We're supposed to discard them. And I think that that is fundamentally flawed. You're supposed to be this holistic person. And with that, you have your curiosity of your youth and then you have that nurturing from your motherhood. And then you have the wisdom that comes with age and you have that sensuality and that magnetism that hopefully stays with you the whole time. I'm Alexa, and you're listening to That Sex Chick, a Soulfire production. Candace Horback is a former adult entertainment performer, an entrepreneur in the production and Web3 space, an organizer of spiritual retreats centered on psychedelics and wellness, a mother of two boys, a wife, and a podcast host of the Chatting with Candace show. Yes, she does a lot. And now her mission is to inspire people to expand their curiosity, think independently, and not be afraid of messiness. Now, Candace is an investor and co-founder of an agency for content creators, both adult and mainstream, alongside her husband. She and her husband have had no choice but to look at every dark corner of themselves and their relationship to survive, let alone thrive under the conditions of her career. Candace believes that unconditional love exists, we can all dream big, and that we are all worthy of our goals. Enjoy today's episode of That Sex Chick with Candace. So recently, I was on a podcast, and, and I've actually been asked this question, I think in real life, maybe in conversation, but I know that I was asked this recently on a podcast, kind of talking about how you know, over the last six, seven years of having this business, developing our company is called Sex and Love Co. My brand, obviously, that sex chick, this podcast, that sex chick. And, you know, the the name that sex chick just kind of came to me as like someone who is a sex educator navigating parties and events and workshops and things and people introducing me as, oh, have you met Alexa? She's that sex chick. And so I just took it and made it my handle and put it on things and then just kind of ran with it. But recently I've been asked since, you know, my husband and I are on our parenting journey at the point of this recording. Let's see, where am I at? 17, almost 18 weeks. And, and this is baby number one, little boy. So we're very excited. This is very much on purpose and it's also fucking terrifying. I've been asked recently, so what's going to happen to that sex chick when you become a mom? And I'm like, you know, maybe nothing, maybe something, you know, like, will you still be that sex chick when you have kids? I'm like, what do you, you know, what do you mean? And they're like, well, when you have kids that understand what it means, how does that change? And so that's been, you know, first when I got that question, I'm like, huh, you know, I don't know. I don't, this point, I don't see any of it really changing that much, though I see, you know, my personal identity. I see aspects of like who I will be as a mother. Like I see myself changing. I don't know what that looks like, but I see myself changing, my identity changing, but I don't see my work changing. And I understand the curiosity that people have. And I'm like, you know, maybe just when they're toddlers, I'll have to put all of the dildos and vibrators that are in my office on a higher shelf. (laughs) But, but I don't see any of the, or the erotic art. I don't see any of those things coming down. I don't see conversation changing. I don't see you know, our work changing or anything like that, but it does make me very curious. And so having you, Candace, on the show today, I am very excited because I get to ask you how that has all translated in not only in your marriage, but of course you as a mom and having kids and what 
it's like, like what it's been like to devote your life to, you know, essentially the overarching theme, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, is is healing in a lot of ways. And then also supporting yourself on the journey of your purpose work. And it's, you know, like how how that, that process has unfolded for you and then the transition into motherhood and how that, you know, communicating that to your little people and making sure that they feel confident and they feel cared for and they feel, you know, understanding and, you know, however age appropriate understanding they can register and what life looks like when you choose to have the history that you have and, and even the future that you and your husband have created for yourself. So I'll stop babbling now, Candice. <laughs> I would love to hear, you know, your take on that your insights on that. And then if you would, you know, kind of maybe weave in your story in there a bit so that our listeners can get a good feel for who you are and what you do in the world. Well, first of all, congratulations. What an exciting journey that you are partaking on. Mm -hmm. I think motherhood is, it's like the most magical and like the best thing. Like I get emotional just talking about it. It's, it's just like the best thing I've ever done. And I just feel so blessed that that was a possibility for me because I was told by so many specialists I wasn't going to have kids. I just was told 0% chance. And I had some, like, I was doing full blood panels, like, quarterly checking on things, taking at one point progesterone to try to get my hormones up. So, like, I had so many people working on it and they just said it wasn't in the stars for me. So, yeah, I feel blessed every single day, like, day that I get to see my children and have that as a part of my reality. And I think with that, when I made my decision to get into adult work, not thinking I was going to have kids made it a little bit easier because you're not thinking about repercussions of that. What's that going to be like for them? I mean, they weren't part of the equation because, I, again, I was told I couldn't. So navigating being kind of like a public figure and being, I guess, like working off like in the sex space for so long, obviously, that's going to come with some baggage, some judgment, you know, like side effects, if you will. and. I don't regret any of it. I think it's so sad that our our first question is to expecting moms is are you still going to like be that sex chick? Are you still going are you going to have to put away that side of you, that piece of you? You're going to have to completely abandon pleasure. Are you going to have to hide the art that you find, you know, brings out your curiosity and your interest and is like authentic to you? I think you owe it to your children to keep that side of you alive whether you're having a boy or a girl. So if you're having a boy, it's like what do you want for him in a union, in a relationship? Do you want his, you know, if he has a wife down the road, do you want her to be fulfilled and to like, I don't know, sacrifice a piece of herself because we're told that that's coupled with shame? Or do you want him to have like a full life and a full relationship with someone? And if you're having a daughter, do you her to have to give that up because she's a mom? Like, can't we have both of those things at the same time? And I think we've gotten into this place where in womanhood, we have these different phases and we're not supposed to take them along the way with us. We're supposed to discard them. And I think that that is fundamentally flawed. You're supposed to be this holistic person. And with that, you have your curiosity of your youth and then you have that nurturing from your motherhood. And then you have the wisdom that comes with age and you have that sensuality and that magnetism that hopefully stays with you the whole time. I don't want to lose that just because I turned 60. I mean, you see older women that are just fully in themselves and have total confidence and like no apologies given like they are just authentically them and they're not going to you know discard them because society says so so I think leading by example is huge when it comes to how do you want your kids to see the world see themselves 
is their original sin? Are they born into this world bad or are you born into this world beautiful and divine? You get to decide that narrative in their head and it's leading by example. So if I start approaching, you know, sexuality or pleasure and not pleasure in the sense of like necessarily sexually charged, just pleasure, like full enjoyment, joy, right? Like taking all of the energy that life has for you. And if I approach that with, you know, a ton of trepidation and caution and concern about other people's judgments, then that's what I'm modeling for my kid. And I don't want that. I want them to be themselves, to be authentic, to like go after life, to question things, to be curious, not to lead with conclusions, you know? So I guess the long-winded answer is just modeling it and not being so eager to discard pieces of yourself because of potential approval. I love that so much. And that's basically what I've been thinking, you know, whenever I don't know what's appropriate yet, you know, like to say and think and feel. And because in my mind, and I don't know if I've said this on the show or not, but in my mind, when I think of our future son and I think of him like coming into his sexual, you know, like curiosities and being a teenager and starting to date whoever he chooses to date and what that feels like. And my hope is like that I've I've helped participate in building his confidence and his self-esteem while also helping him to stay grounded and to understand, you know, ego and all that. And and knowing that like a teenager is a teenager and they're going to do what a teenager does. And I'm like, in my mind, I have these grandiose plans of, you know, of the way that he dates and like how he cares for people and how he, you know, goes for his pleasure, but not in a taking kind of way and where he's also focused on pleasure for others. And, you know, in my head, I'm just like, my future son fucks. Like you want your (laughs) kid to interact with mine. (laughs) Like, you know, he understands consent and he understands boundaries and he understands that, you know, like leaning into those things and having discussions and he can have those discussions, you know, and I have these grandiose plans where I'm like, and he's going to be able to tell me all these things. And like other parents of teenagers are like, good luck with that. (laughs) But that's at least like the vision that I have for, you know, because we're at number one now. So it's hard to envision the rest of the gaggle we might have in the next handful of years. But, you know, my dream would be that all of my kids, you know, but I just hear the general collective teenager mom, like, no, don't talk about that, you know. And I know in my friend group, I am the designated like kind of kooky aunt that knows all the sex stuff. And so all of my friends that have like anywhere from one to three year olds right now are like, I feel better having you as a friend, as an auntie to my kids, because I don't have to worry about, you know, being the one that they come to and sweating out these conversations. I'll just send them to you. I'm like, that's great. And they'll probably feel your kids will probably feel really great. Maybe. You know, if I like play it cool, they'll feel really great. But who does my, who do my kids go to if they're like, no, mom, no, (laughs) we, we can't come to you, you know? Well, so first, isn't it interesting though? Like when you have parents that are further along the path than you, a lot of times they lead with like negativity or skepticism or like it's very dismissive right away. Like, you know, good luck with that. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, why is that there? Right. So if that's already where your neutral is, then I'm going to assume that our parenting styles are probably different and the way that we approach conversations is different. So your story and your journey through parenthood isn't necessarily going to be mine. And I like try to stop that immediately. If I have people that give me bad advice and or just like negative advice and you just see kind of how they see their their life. And it's kind of pretty sad from my perspective. People I go on these mom dates and (laughs) the entire time 
Like, I just want to gouge my eyes out. Like, they're complaining about their kid for an hour and a half. And I get it. There's hard days, like, for sure. Like, you're tapping into energy reserves, especially in the beginning. You're sleep deprived. You're trying to heal. Like, it's a lot. But what is complaining doing about it? I think it's like kind of it's perpetuating like that negative neurochemistry in your brain. And you're like, okay, well, this is what we're going to do. I'm just going to continue to see all of the lows. And then when you're stuck there, you can't appreciate anything. You can't have gratitude for anything. And then like you see the discomfort when it comes to having those sexual conversations with your kid. They're like, oh, you'll just do it. Why? Like you owe it to your kid to do hard things, to say, I can do hard things. And I'm going to get over my own fear, my own bullshit. And I'm going to do what's important. And that's to have these conversations with you because you are my children. And it's different to say like they can't have other resources outside of you. Of course, they need those. But they also need to feel like they can come to you with anything. And it is your responsibility to kind of like get rid of that shame and that fear. Because if you're leading with that and like that avoidance, of course, they're going to feel that. Because, you know, for a long time, they say like the kids look at mom and dad like they're God. Like that is God. So when you get mad at them, it's like God getting mad at them. And when you like project shame onto them, that's like God saying that's shame. So it's like an energetic thing. So you don't need to overtly say anything. But if you're avoiding these things, then they're going to automatically think, well, okay, well, mom's kind of acting like weird about this subject. Maybe I should feel weird about this subject. So like get over your own bullshit. You owe it to your kids. Because again, like that inner dialogue that they have for the rest of their life is going to be either mom or dad, mom or dad, mom or dad. And, you know, eventually they're going to confuse that for their own stuff. So age appropriate conversations. I mean, We started having the body part conversation and like full, like actual terminology with our kid around two. And a big deal with this is if like if a predator approaches them, like a sexual predator approaches them and they have the verbiage, like they can say penis, they can say vulva, like they Mm -hmm. like they have the words for this. They are so much less likely to be a victim of sexual violence or predation because the predator can say, oh, this kid and this family, he's he or she's comfortable going to like authority figures. Like they're comfortable with this verbiage. If I do something, they're going to be able to express that. If you have someone that has like these pet names for everything or whatever, like, oh, that family doesn't really talk about this. This is a good kid to go after. So, I mean, even from that point of view, it's like just a necessity to start having those conversations really, really young. And like those numbers are astonishing. So like I'm sure all the moms have done their Googling is it's terrifying. So you want to equip your child with the proper tool. So starting with like naming things what they're actually named is really like a good stepping stone into that conversation. And then working with consent, we talk about respect my no. And then my toddler has totally turned that around because I'll like say you need to eat this thing. And he's like, respect my no. I'm like, that's not how this applies. <laughs> but yeah, you can teach a lot of these things that we think are really heavy or maybe they're not ready for at a really young age. You just have to do it in creative ways and they pick it up. So yeah, again, like you just, you owe it to yeah. yourself and just do the work. Totally, totally. And I think with my friends and I have an amazing group of friends and I think that what they mean is that if it doesn't get all the way through, mm-hmm. at least I have you. And and as you're talking, you know, when I want to gouge your eyes out with mom dates and all of that, it's Uh, I think that sometimes they might find peace in the commiseration versus doing the actual hard work, which is coming to resolution in themselves so that they're not projecting this stuff onto the people around them, including their children, Mm -hmm. you know, so big work, you know, it's like, we want to have that healthy, happy, well-integrated, well-rounded kind of family, then it's, you know, takes, it's the journey within, you know, for the parents. So anyway, thank you for all that reflection. Of course, this is something that I'm curious about now at 34. 
and have never really been all that curious outside of helping to teach, helping adults get sex education that way they can then translate that into their home environments. That's basically all that I've been interested in up until going to become mom myself. And you mentioned as a part of your story that you were told that you couldn't have children. And so you made decisions for your life and in your business and your work and all of that without, you know, in some ways I would say, sounds like considering that they were coming. And so what did that look like? You know, what was your journey? Because definitely because I have like a whole other little list of questions that I'm like really curious (laughs) about. Before I just go straight to them, the people want to (laughs) know where are you coming from? And what did, you know, what did it look like getting into sex education, getting into, and I know your version of sex education might be different than, than what I'm talking about as far as my version of sex education, just getting into the sex industry space. I guess I can use the term at large. And then, you know, towards probably the end of our conversation, I have some personal questions about content and about a, being a creator because I'm currently recording this podcast while my Instagram is in jail for the I third time. Today. Yeah. I'm very sad about it. You know, have an amazing community of people and about 70,000 followers on the platform. And that's like my main way to communicate with the majority. I mean, of course we have our email list and we've got our other platforms, but like that's, that's my one that I interact with the most and it is felt and my content is like super PG. And so we can talk about that, you know, a little bit later in the show. No, I'd love to for sure. Yeah. I saw that and I was like, I bet you that that account's in jail right now, which is exactly what, what is the case. So yeah, I, I think like a lot of people, I had a lot of shame and resistance when it came to sex, sexuality, pleasure. I thought that, you know, my purity was something to hold on to. And that was my entire identity. And once I gave it away, I was no longer the same, no longer as valuable. It was like this thing I could never get back. It was almost like that was the commitment. And so I lost my virginity to like a long term boyfriend. And was planning on marrying him. I think a lot because of that thing that I gave away, like that thing I was not going to get back. I put so much value in that. And I feel like when I got the news of being infertile, that kind of created a huge riff in the relationship because he wanted kids. And he just, he started acting totally different. It caused our breakup, which was such a blessing. But at the time it was devastating. And I moved down south with him. So I was essentially by myself now. I had no friends, no family, nothing. And I took it as an opportunity to like discover who I was and what I wanted out of life and to reconnect with that sexuality and that sensuality. And what was that? Like, what did I want my relationship to that to be? And for some reason, I felt the most comfortable exploring that through content creation. And I had always idolized like these goddesses like Tara Patrick and Pamela Anderson and Carmen Electra. And I just saw the world would gravitate around them. They would go into a room, right? Or they would do an interview and everyone was just like, who is that? What is her story? What does she have? And I saw it. And this was just naturally my mindset. I was like, how do I get some of that? I didn't see them as like competition or they took something and automatically projecting insecurities onto them. I was like, no, if they figured something out, I can figure something out. So I don't know what that looks like, but I know that they were all in the industry on some level, right? So I started with webcamming, was not my jam. I don't like being told what to do. And that is essentially all you're doing the entire time you're online is getting bossed around by people. So that was not for me. And I knew I wanted to do the films. So I reached out to a couple companies that I had really liked their work. I liked their talent. And I was just like, how do I get in? How do I sign up? Where's my audition? Like, Don't audition. That's not a thing. 
but like prove like send us your ID, prove you're 18, yada, yada. They flew me down to Miami and it was quickly one of the highest watched and rated scenes to date. And they just from there, it was history. I was just kind of getting booked. I was contracted to a couple of big companies for a while. I ended up leaving because I think the way that content creation going now is getting more decentralized. Power is going more to the performers, to the content creators. I think this is across all media, not just adult. And I think that's a very beautiful and important thing because there was like too much power that was condensed within the companies and like within the industry. It's very, it's very much a monopoly. So I think, you know, third party platforms like OnlyFans is more than necessary for content creators. So yeah, I left started doing my own thing, did the podcast. Yeah. And now I have an agency where we're kind of like helping adult creators redefine like their value, prepare for the future. Like when they're done shooting, what does that look like? Help them to diversify. Sometimes we have to get accounts back for people. So yeah, it's just being like the example of what I wish was in the industry back when I was shooting. Yeah. I mean, that's big. And, you know, I've had someone come on to the show it's probably been a couple months or so. And it was one of the most illuminating conversations with someone who is an active sex worker who goes and works at the ranch in Nevada. I don't know, maybe once a month for like a weekend and then comes back and does her like artistic theater, whatever life that she does. But she was, you know, it was so, it was so amazing to hear a story from someone that is like, I love this. I chose this. I love this. This this is great for my life and all that because I think so many people and then hearing your story it's like so many people consider okay so someone who's in the adult industry who is a performer who makes porn or creates content or whatever the thing is you know there's like the vast majority of people it's like immediate shame is put on the person or like you poor thing is put on the person and it's almost never looked at it like and not that it's never, but it's almost never. I would say looked at it like, oh, you're so empowered. You know, mm-hmm. look at you choosing to do with your life what you want to do with your life in the way that you want to do it. It's like immediate, you know, usually from some people, it's like, oh, you know, like immediate judgment and projection from someone that's like maybe challenged by their own sexuality or lack of expression or challenged by, oh, but, you know, my husband is in my, you know, is affected by this industry and whatever the deep, dark ways are or whatever the thing is. And then if it's not that, then more often than not, it's like, oh, you poor thing. Do you need to be saved? Do you need Mm -hmm. to be helped? You know? And so to hear someone say like, this was something that I chose for myself and I was really excited about it and I was intrigued. And then you go into it and you realize, okay, webcamming, not for me. Let me go over there. Okay, cool. All right. Wow. The industry is changing. Let me go in this direction. You know, um, where did it where did it lead you? So, yeah. So ultimately, it led me to have like the most free life that I could have ever dreamt up. I mean, I basically have all of the perks of being a stay at home mom. I podcast a couple times a week. You know, I focus a little bit on my accounts, mostly focused on the agency right now, which is helping up and coming talent and help them like not fall into like the traps that I did in the very beginning, because you think everyone kind of has your back. It's all you don't have a lot of people to talk to. So when you're in the industry, you kind of get sucked in because who else are you going to talk to about your hard days or whatever is coming up for you at work? Because there's so much judgment and just, and if it's not judgment, it's just not knowing how to react or respond because it's just so out there compared to most people's day-to-day life. So you just get more and more concentrated within that industry. So you think that there's a collective and everyone has everyone's best interest, but that is not the case. 
oftentimes you see females that are running agencies or directors and you're like, oh, you know, that that's going to be like someone who has my back because there's so few women of power in the industry. So she's going to get it. Oftentimes they use that against you. And like they're some of the worst experiences I've had have been with women in like higher positions. So, yeah, I just I saw, unfortunately, like through experience, like a lot of bullshit. And through that, instead of taking it and wallowing or letting it affect me negatively, I'm like nothing exists that I want or that would have worked for me in like a truly holistic, healthy way. So I fired my agencies that I was with and I'm they're like, well, what are you going to do now? Like, you're never going to make this kind of money without us. And I was like, I'm going to do it by myself. And they thought I was crazy. They said, absolutely. Like, she's going to come running back within a couple months. The universe conspires for you. I met the perfect person at the perfect time. He now basically is the CEO of the agency and manages day-to-day operations. It took off. We have like top 2%, top 1% performers that we represent. The agency that I fired came back and was like, how about we acquire your agency and you can still run it? But I was like, fuck off. And the agency I was with before was stealing my content, repurposing it on other channels, selling it at a premium, and then redirecting my traffic to their channels. It was insane. It was absolutely insane. So yeah, it's led me to a position where I can kind of be this beacon for up and coming performers. And again, like just teach them not to do what I did and hopefully leave the industry in a better place than when when they started. Because unfortunately, there's not like there's no union, there's no how to. So you come in, a lot of these people are financially illiterate, so they end up losing money. And by the time that they're done, you've been ostracized by your community, sometimes your family, sometimes your friends. You don't have like you can never go be a teacher or go be a nurse or go be like work at Verizon. You're going to get fired if you even get hired. Right. It's just like a permanent red A that you can't get off. So then what do you do, especially if you left with debt? So we're just trying to prevent that. We're in the process of starting a fund. So to teach our creators and our like performers how to invest. It's a very big vision that we're like just getting started with. And it's, I mean, it's so necessary, mm-hmm. you know, and that it's taken, you know, I'm sure some variations of, of this have kind of been around throughout the years, but to have an agency on a very large scale and to have that kind of vision seems like, you know, and I'm not up close and personal with the industry, this portion of the industry very much, but it seems like it's still a relatively new thing to be gunning for. Like, Hey, you're in this industry and I'd like to teach you about stocks and bonds. <laughs> and you know, I'd like <laughs> to teach you about how to manage credit card debt. I'd like to teach you about, you know, investing in yourself and investing in your future. Here's an IRA. You know, like it's like, you know, or like how to heal your relationships with your family and your family of origin or how to build community so that you if you do experience some level of being ostracized from the people that, you know, that you grew up with, the people that you have around you, you know how to take care of yourself. I know that your work goes even beyond just like the industry stuff or the agency stuff with regards to, because, you know, I snooped on you and I have your information. So I know (laughs) that you went on and did other cool things with your work. So not only do you have the agency now, um, but would you tell our listeners a little bit about what you wound up doing with, I don't know if you would say like the money that you saved along the way or like just the trajectory of your life rather, you know, you know, post. So you did create the agency, but I think there was a gap in between of studies as well. Yeah. So before the agency, I I started on Twitch a little bit. I had like this like fake cooking show that was a ton of fun and it did really well. But then I got pregnant and I could not maintain it. We were cooking like three or four times a week and it was four plus hours because we would prep and then we would cook and then we would have wine. And it was like this whole thing. And it was so much fun. And my, my husband, who is not 
like a producer by any means is like behind the camera and he's chatting and it, it was it was so much fun. So that did really well. And then I had my first son and I wanted to get back into content creation, but I knew that the cooking stuff was not the right time. Again, like the investment was too much. So that's when I started the podcast that has been doing amazing. And I genuinely love what I do. I get to, it like it forces me to to read, to learn and to stay connected with adults, which is really fun and necessary. <laughs> We are kind of we're in the middle of a startup right now in the psychedelic space, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. So we have one of like the OG psychonauts that we're it's kind of being founded like around. And the idea is to provide content specifically for entrepreneurs, but whoever like wants to consume it, sign up for a membership, go to retreats, that kind of thing. But it's basically to learn about spirituality, to kind of constantly be up-leveling yourself, whether or not that's with using psychedelics. Right now, there's like this mass adoption happening in that space. And we're in the belief that like psychedelics are not for everyone. You know, like you need to have a proper facilitator. You need like the same psychedelic that works for one person might not be what you need. And it needs to a lot be more tailor-made than what we're seeing. Mm -hmm. So a lot that's more of the ethos and like principles around like this specific teacher and then that foundation. My husband is always working on some tech thing because he's <laughs> but he's an he's an investor and he's I call him future boy. Like he loves exponential technologies. Like that is his jam. So because of that, we're working on this AI tool for the agency, which is incredible. So eventually you'll be able to have a creator that's brand kind of lives forever. So you'll be able to recreate content, whether it's audio, video, photos, and no one will know the difference eventually. And then you can get into like the ethics of do you have to say that it's AI generated or that it's not real or real? And my husband and I were talking about it and he's like, well, would you feel bad if you had an AI responding to everybody? You know, and they thought it was you. I was like, well, it's not me. It wouldn't be me, even if it, you know, like it was physically typing. And he's like, what do you mean? I was like, well, Eva's not real. You know what I mean? Like, Eva's my other personality. Like, Candace is real. They think they're, they're talking to Eva anyway. So even if I were the one to be chatting with them, like, I'm also pretending. Right. You know what I mean? So it's, we're heading into like a really interesting future when it comes to, say, like AI and ChatGPT. And what does that mean for content creators? Yeah, that's super cool. See, I knew. I was like, there's more. I know that there's more. (laughs) I'm going to snoop, you know, host events, you know, a handful of times a year. And I joke, you know, with my assistants and the people that I I facilitate with where I'm like, you know, I give this, you know, the people start arriving. Like I just hosted a retreat in New Orleans and people are arriving and they're getting settled into their rooms and all these things. And I'm hanging out at the kitchen table and, and, you know, I, I talk to my assistant. I'm like, how long do you think before we start talking about psychedelics? Like it's a, it's a sexual empowerment, feminine embodiment retreat that has nothing to do with mushrooms, <laughs> you know, like it has nothing to do with ayahuasca, it has nothing to do with any kind of like psychedelic, but it's usually within one of the first conversations that we have round table style, someone brings it up, someone shares an experience that they had, someone shares a, maybe a bad experience that they had. And then everyone's like, Ooh, and then it just starts to kind of take over. And I, I notice this more and more. In my space, like people opening up to sexual exploration, there's like some little switch that's flipped where they just generally like if I open my mind to this, I'm just going to leave my mind open because it's like if I open my mind to like kinky things and tantra things and vulnerable things that have to do with sex and my sexuality and and all of those things and, and healing at large, it's like, oh, well, I guess I'll be 
curious about that thing too. So it never really surprises me when someone who's interested in, in sex and personal development is like, and also some of the psychedelic stuff too. And the AI is a very interesting question, you know, like, does it really matter? I don't know. It depends on how you look at it, which is fascinating because I've got, you know, living in Austin, we've got some people, we've got, yeah, we've got some like Uber nerds in lots of different categories here. And I feel like I can hear, you know, if I go to an event, like I was at a 4th of July event yesterday and, and there's like several conversations that are happening about AI and all the cool things and, and like, what is happening in the world today? Like it's fascinating and terrifying and super cool, you know? Our favorite place to shop for crystal, glass, and metal toys is Yoni Pleasure Palace. Sacred squirters, cervix serpents, Yoni eggs, prostate massagers, anal plugs and beaded wands, G-spot massagers, and something Jordan and I use all the time and even travel with, our plush velvety waterproof blanket. Every product feels so special when it comes from YPP. It's probably because of the care that is taken not only in the development of the toy, but in the packing and delivering of the toy. When you collect, because it's definitely a collection of sexy works of art, when you collect a new item, it comes with not only information on how to use it, but to also respect and revere it, along with cultivating respect and reverence for your own body and your own sexuality. I can't sing YPP's praises enough to add to your collection, visit yonipleasurepalace.com and make sure to use the code thatsexchick, all one word, at checkout for 15% off your order. And pretty please, if you share your items on social media, tag me. I'd love to see what you choose and celebrate you. Yeah, I think it just comes down to discernment. So like you want to approach things with curiosity and have an open mind, but it's you don't want your mind so open that your brains fall out right? so like, <laughs> or your soul is fragmented into the ether and you can't figure out how to put it back together. Right. Someone that like never comes back down. Right. right. So that's not functional. Right. That's not going to serve you for your best purpose here right now. Sure. So just discerning. So be curious, approach it with healthy skepticism, but curiosity and then discern. Is this for me? Is this not for me? Is this for me? Is this not for me? And if it's not for you, that's fine. It doesn't need to be met with judgment or opposition or force or coercion or whatever it is. So I think that's what I bring out in a lot of people is because my life and my trajectory has not been for them that they feel like they have to like openly oppose it. Mm -hmm. And now you can say it's not for you 100%, but that doesn't mean that we're at odds. That doesn't mean that you I'm right. someone to fight over it, right? So again, just discerning without judgment. So I'm going to kind of double back on what I thought we might end our convo on because I'm actually very curious about your marriage and your relationship and how that came to be. And then, of course, the kids along the way, too. But while we're on the agency and some of the other work that you do, I'll just bring up the content conversation because I, you know, one of the parts of our business is that we do sex education for other coaches and facilitators so that they can be a more integrated coach and a more integrated healer, facilitator, whatever they, whatever they are, whatever they do. and. It was funny because we most recently got started with one of our groups. It's got, you know, 21 either brand new coaches or they are a coach in some regard and they're just wanting to up their sex education and sex facilitation, those kinds of things. And one of the first things that they started asking is how do we prevent ourselves from getting banned or how do we, like, how do we prevent shadow banning? What do we do if accounts are disabled and all those things? And I was like, we'll talk about it on the next call, which is in two weeks. And literally the next day, my account was down. It's like, <sighs> Fuck. And so they're all terrified, you know, but it's a little bit different, you know, I mean, it, it hurts regardless of whenever it happens, whether you've got several hundred thousand followers or you've got, 
you know, that initial 1200 followers that you're like painstakingly working for, just trying to get the snowball effects. And I think about my Instagram account, and even though it's only four years old, I'm like I have written, there's hours of my time that is poured onto that platform. And if it just doesn't come back, it's heartbreaking. There's like personal stories. And like a lot of my life over the last four years work is there. It's, it's showcased there. And so it's not just it's not just like, oh, your social media where you keep in touch with like your aunt Frida and your uncle Joe. And, you know, like it's not like social to me like that. It's it's my business, but it's also mm-hmm. like my diary in a lot of ways for me anyway. I know for other creators and other people who own businesses and leverage social media in that regard, it's maybe not as personal. But for me, it's like my heart is poured out and all over that thing. And if it just goes away, I am it affects me maybe differently than it might affect other people. And I know that my students and people who are curious about what we do and getting into what we do, that's like a major question mark. So you mentioned that it's something that that you work on in your agency and with some of your content creators. So how do you protect it? You know, what does that look like? So we are in an era of like digital sharecropping. So we build and build and build. And then you can wake up and all of a sudden what you thought was yours is just gone. And it's because we're building on platforms where you don't own your information, right? Period. You just don't own it. I think it's really important to make sure that you're diversified across all the platforms. I think right now with Elon buying Twitter, it was one of the best things for creators because He's not necessarily a free speech absolutist, which he's kind of shown, which people were thinking he was going to be. But it's still much more lenient and much more free than pretty much any other platform. So Twitter is a great place to build. Substack is a great place to build, especially if you are doing entries. So you could be just copying and pasting and building a Substack. And then they do have a membership model. So you can be charging there as well. Community SMS is wonderful. So 90% of people will open up a text versus the old school email newsletter. So that's a really cool way to get your content across and like keep in touch with the community. Things like a Discord channel. Zion is a really cool decentralized mm-hmm. social platform that some people are using. I've had the founder on my podcast. Yeah, Justin's about- here in Austin. Oh, yeah. 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 To talk-, yeah talk about their mission. Mines is an amazing platform. Bill is incredible. I in the process of trying to figure out how to decentralize it completely. I don't know when they'll get there, but they're pretty free speech absolutist. And if you want to know if they are, if a site is or not, ask if they allow adult content, right? Because that is protected under the First Amendment. Whether or not people agree with that is like another conversation, but it is. So like they allow 18 plus accounts on there. It's just a different type of account. Twitter is obviously the same. Adult content is there. But if you look at something like a locals, for example, they pretend that they're free speech absolutist, but you cannot have adult content. So the problem with that is it's like once you start saying, oh, like censorship free or unfiltered, you know, expression, except for this. Well, it's a matter of time until you start like picking all of the things that you don't like. And then you eventually now have a censored platform just like YouTube. So, yeah, it's like finding platforms with missions that align with that and then just like not investing entirely on one account. And then you have to unfortunately, just rebuild. I know some people that have had countless Instagram accounts. And this one girl, she is more flagged than I think anybody in the adult space. She puts up an account and (laughs) under her bio, it was said, me exists. Instagram, you have violated our terms. And that's (laughs) truly what it is for her. And it's so unfortunate because it's not like she's posting anything that is against the terms of service. Obviously, you know, there's filters if you want to post adult content on platforms like Twitter. And it comes down to parenting. It is not big tech's job to watch your child. It is your job. 
put the filters on the devices, have the conversations of what they should and shouldn't be consuming, right? Like build a kid that is like resilient, not going to go along with the crowd. And it's going to say, Hey, like, this is not okay for me to, to watch and like, you know, bring that attention to an adult. But that's, that's a whole other thing. But yeah, I think it comes down to supporting platforms that are, that don't believe in censorship. Yeah. And that's, that's tough. That's at least that's been tough for, for me slash us, especially since like beginning, I did a lot of long form writing, a lot of long form like blog reposting from like an original blog. And I'd post it on Facebook back when Facebook was kind of cool and Facebook lives were all the rage, you know, and then we started our Facebook community and our group and all that. And like, that's been flagged a number of times. And like, to me, I'm like, I wouldn't say I'm wholesome by any account, but so non-threatening, so basic conversation, you know, like it's not edge. I don't know if I would say like, it's really edge pushing. It's like, it's just simply education. It's information. And it's not, it's not solicitation on any level though. We have programs. We have programs for singles and couples and people that, you know, want to learn more of what's available and their sexual, you know, as far as what's available in their sexual expression. And so in some ways, does that kind of fit under sexual solicitation? Because you can pay for this course that has no nudity in it and is only slides, you know, PowerPoint slides and free and resources as a part of it. And, you know, maybe my face talking, but nothing, nothing like too crazy. You know what I mean? And that's coming down, which is so sad to me. But I want to I want to reach the normal everyday Joe, so to speak, because I feel like our content is very much a bridge. You know, we're friends with all kinds of different content creators, and I really love being a bridge to, you know, opening people up so that, okay, if they want to go express and explore their kinky side, here's the person that we love as far as kink education. And, you know, if they want to go deeper into any kind of the healing, sexual healing modalities, here's the people we like for that. We love to bridge. And so our people are often on these, these platforms. And so I don't know what that, like the transition would look like to go to something. I think you mentioned Mighty Networks. I don't know if I would imagine they're not completely censorship free. I'm not sure, but I do know a few creators that are on there or Patreon. I know like, that's not censorship free either, but how do I meet what my typical audience is? How do I meet them and then go, hey, completely change how you navigate on your phone or on your computer and come to this, create an account over here that you're not familiar with. Like, how do we get them to go from there to there and make that worth it? I mean, you know, to us, the one thing that I, I feel like we've done right, I mean, we've done lots of things right, for sure. But one thing that we have done is that we've developed our, I don't know, maybe this was like maybe two or three years in, I was like, we really need to focus on this email list. So at least we've got the email list, you know what I mean? But that's, I know that there's a lot of content creators and I have a number of people who are coaching on some, in some regard that do follow our show too, that are very curious about the thing that I just asked you. It's like, how do you like get them to go from there to there and stick around and maybe even still buy your things? It's really hard. The conversion rates for everyone are abysmally low, but mm. I think it's just, you have to keep hammering it in, right? It's just like the more that totally. they're exposed to the thing, eventually they're going to swipe up or click the link. But as far as like, again, accounts being censored, it's you have to be everywhere and then just be a, ready to rebuild at any moment and then just make sure that you are on some of the de decentralized platforms. Not everyone wants to go on mines because they're like, it's another fucking app I don't want to do. And I totally get that. Sometimes if you do giveaways and like you incentivize that way, that could be helpful. But yeah, it's it's really tricky. Right now, I would say Twitter. I, they're trying to move into a place where 
So you know how Google is like organizing the world's information and Instagram is like organizing all of your photos or capturing your memories or whatever their slogan was. So I think Twitter is trying to go into the space of the world's conversations and they want to be a place where everyone is conversing there. So they're going to start optimizing for video. They have the spaces, which people really love because then you're kind of like, it's almost like a live podcast. You're like, what's going to happen next? It's just a little bit more edgy. So I would definitely focus on Twitter. And most people, I feel like if you have the other socials, you probably are on Twitter as well. And the good thing with Minds specifically is that it integrates with Twitter. So you don't have to post on there. It just automatically bumps it to your Minds account and it's no extra work for you. So if you do get some people to switch over, do that. But yeah, it's just repetition. I mean, the thing that's kind of hard to swallow, especially if you have an account that has a lot of followers or you put a lot of time into it's like sometimes your audience isn't going to be the audience that goes to the next thing. So you have to just focus on catching new people. So not necessarily tapping into your well, because I have my Eva account that has almost 3 million followers. Getting most of them to go to something else is really hard because they're there for Eva, right? And like they have this very fixed mindset as to like what kind of content they want from me. So you can't really force people except just constantly exposing them. And I do. My reels almost all podcast thing. And some people like there's a lot of people that are like, shut up and take off your shirt. Well, that's fine. (laughs) I'm glad that's you're entitled to that opinion. But I'm going to keep posting this and eventually get more and more of you down. So just wear them down. Totally. Okay, there you go. Diversify and wear them down. You know, I heard a recent uh, stat and I'm going to totally say it wrong, but that out of all of the accounts that are on Twitter, what is it like 10% are actively posting? Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. I don't know. It's either 10 or 30. <laughs> wow. It's still a lot lower than you would imagine. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's kind of like there's, and I, I don't know this actual stat either, but out of all of the podcasts that are out in the world, there's only a very small percentage that are consistently posting, you know? And so it's pretty easy to get listened to at this point. Like it's pretty easy to get, you know, if you're, if you're active on Twitter, it's seemingly relatively easy if you're posting really high quality, good content, whatever high quality is for Twitter but good content, then it, it in theory should get seen. Right. And just like be calculated, engage with big accounts that you like, engage with smaller accounts that they follow. That's been when I was up and coming and trying to get in contact with certain people, I would see, let's say you your moonshot is Taylor Swift. And you're like, I'm not going to get Taylor Swift right away, but let's see who Taylor follows. And you go through who she follows. Find someone that you're interested in with a low following, like relatively low, maybe as low as you can possibly get mm-hmm. and reach out to that person. And then slowly you'll start building those connections. And it's not in this like Machiavellian, dark triad kind of way. It's just like, no, lead with curiosity, but also be a little bit calculated because right. you have to prove yourself to be able to get where you want to go. Like a lot of people aren't just going to have the door open for you. They're like, who are you to take an hour of my time or whatever it is that you're trying to do? So yeah, it's just be calculated, but you could definitely grow on Twitter. I think a lot of the bad press is probably for other purposes as well, because I feel like a lot of the media has it out for Twitter and Elon. And mm-hmm. like that acquisition was not taken. It wasn't taken well <laughs> with a lot of people because there is a narrative and people don't yeah. like free form discussion. So I don't totally. know. I, I, it's one of my favorite platforms. Yeah. Well, like I said, we live in Austin, so everybody yeah. loved it here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is a very freedom focused kind of town, even though it's a little bit of a blue dot and a giant red sea state. But it's, uh, you know, it was like the talk everybody talking about. It. You have to be, though, if you're yeah. in creation at all, you have to be like for freedom of, yeah. of expression because yeah. otherwise you have no voice. Like the minute totally. that happens gone. Like all of your life is gone. Creativity is gone. Absolutely. 
thank you for all of this. I definitely feel inspired in some ways, especially to hear from someone who has accounts that are significantly larger than mine and even some of the the people that we work with that are maybe even just getting started. And sometimes there's that feeling of like, why get started if it's going to come down? But this work, you know, just sex education, I'm using that as a blanket term because whether they're coming to adult content creators, like they're getting something, maybe not necessarily education, but also maybe like they're getting something from this industry. And, you know, they're feeling a lot of times like, why get started if it's all going to come down? And the work is so impactful, important, powerful, mm-hmm. no matter what like niche within the niche that, you know, people are interacting with. And it'd be really sad if it all just went away. You know what I mean? Well, I feel like, unfortunately, too, you, is you have to self-censor to some extent oh, yeah. to kind of like get through the terms of service. So instead of, you know, putting like sex, like use emojis or use some kind of code that someone is going to get, right? The point is still gotten across without, I don't know, using anything that they see as explicit. Sure. And then probably like using education, I would imagine helps, but like coming up with different, I don't know, like subliminal, (laughs) subliminal messaging a little bit. I know it's rough. And up to this point, I have refused to do it. And that's probably factoring into the fact that, you know, our accounts come down three times in in the last however many years, because it's just, it irks me. I don't want to say sex. I want to say sex. It's sex. You know, I don't want to say orgasm with a letter, with a number zero as the O and like Mm -hmm. a space between the G and the A and the whatever. Like I, I just want to say orgasm. Like what's wrong with saying orgasm, you know, and the community guidelines, that's what they said. You've broken community, violated community guidelines for sexual solicitation. (laughs) So anyway, we can move on from, from chatting about this because it's like, it's a thing. And there's, I don't want to say like, there's nothing we can do about it because there are things that you were just saying, the diversification and the self-censorship and all those things. And, you know, like the work is still desirable. There's still people looking for it and it's worth it every time we've had to like jump through the hoops and figure out how to get accounts back or it's just been worth it up to this point. And so, yeah, I'll have a conversation. I think like when I get off of this and I find my husband, who's just been walking circles around our pool with our pit bull, I've been watching him through the window here, which everyone who's listening will not be surprised that Jordan's in the pool with Biggie, but I'll have a conversation with him after and be like, okay, what do you think it could look like for us to diversify to have us like have some level of security here because it does feel very volatile. I mean, we do as an entrepreneur, it feels very volatile anyway. And mm-hmm. so then to add our main revenue source of like where we get leads and where we sell and all of that is also at risk, you know, beyond like us showing up and doing the work that we've agreed to do in the world, like several layers of volatility, which causes a lot of stress. And this is kind of like an interesting segue into what I want to chat with you maybe last about is you know, this is a conversation that I have with my husband, you know, because we both work for the brand and the company that I created, you know, six and a half years ago or so, you know, he was this biohacking bro. And then eventually COVID hit and his entire section of the company that he worked for got let go like unexpectedly. And, Mm -hmm. and so, you know, and he was in men's coaching and he was in health, fitness, nutrition, and personal development already. And so he was like, what am I going to do? I let him kind of like bump into things and try things on for like a cool six months or so. And then I was like, Hey, how about you just join me? Like officially join me. And so we have, you know, our, we have sex and love co now and we run it together. And I know that you in a lot of ways work with your husband and Mm -hmm. 
in this world. And and so I'm so curious what y'all's relationship is like and how it came to be, you know? So like my husband, it's very different. Like he sees me go into a group and then I start talking about all these sexual things and here's your sexual smorgasbord, everyone. And here's how to get those things. And then you know, after him be like, I didn't even know you knew that. Why don't we do that? (laughs) (laughs) So like, I have like a whole different kind of thing, you know, the way that he looks at me and, and and with regards to the work that we do, that I imagine is very different to you guys. But, but I'm just so curious how that support looks and how you navigate business together and family together. And then I have underlined in my notes here, anti-fragile marriage. And so since we're like (laughs) a year and a half in, to our marriage, I'm like anything that's like, how do we make it bulletproof and anti-fragile and you know, all of that. I'm like down for the codes. All the things. Yeah. I think our story, I feel like would be the most hysterical and dramatic rom drum com ever. So like he was there from the beginning. Pretty much as soon as I started webcamming is when I met him. And everyone is cool when it's, you know, you by yourself and everyone's cool when it's just a magazine. Most people are cool if it's just you with other women. Where it gets complicated is when you start having like the boy girl scenes. And then that was really tricky to navigate. And I think got us through it was A, we both had this end goal of winding up together. We both were like, you're my person. So how do we figure this out? There's this word called compersion, and the idea is to feel joy and pleasure for someone else's joy and pleasure. And you can see your partner across the room at a cocktail party, and they're talking to a group of people. And instead of getting jealous or feeling left out or whatever it is, you can just be happy for them. I'm happy. He or she looks like they're having a great time. And I'm, I don't need to be there to appreciate or value that. So that's kind of how he describes his journey throughout my career is having that compersion and then that perspective. And also this idea where neither of us believe love is about control or ownership. I think those things are in opposition to love. So if you're trying to put somebody into a cage and it's like, you're my little bird and you'll never fly. Well, that's horrible. And then what is that? That's not love. That's that's a prison. And it's all it's all manufactured because we're not testing it against anything. I literally love based purely on conditions. I only love you so long as you do what I want or behave in a way that I approve of, or you don't hurt my feelings or you don't evoke jealousy, right? There's all of these conditions that we're putting onto that love. And to me, that's nothing. That's not what I wanted. I had no interest in that. And I don't think that he did either. So he didn't want to like our relationship in a position where he was like, if you do this thing, I'm out, right? There was no ultimatum. He did say, I have no idea how I'm going to respond. I've never been in this situation. I don't know if it's for me. I don't know if we'll make it out on the other side. And I so appreciated that honesty. And I was the same way. I had no idea what was going to happen. I just kind of had this maybe naive faith that we were going to figure it out. And I did work out. It was a ton of arguments. But through those arguments and those tears and like the shouting and when it happened and having to confront your jealousy and say, well, is this for me? Is this mine? Why do I have it? Is really about the other person having sex or for other people on like a more soft scale, like having a conversation out at the bar without me, like, is that really the thing I'm mad at? Or am I terrified I'm going to be alone? Am I terrified I'm going to lose this person? And I'm terrified that my identity is wrapped up in this person, like all of these other bigger things that are really the root of that jealousy that we feel. And it's never about the thing. So a lot of radical honesty around that, those topics and allowing a trusting space to where if he came to me 
in jealousy and anger, whatever, in sadness that I wasn't going to fight back. And I was going to have a space where he could be vulnerable with me and vice versa. So I think that's also something really important to consider too, because it's like we want, quote, honesty from somebody. But if they do something that, you know, they know is going to upset us, we bring all hell. And then they're like, well, I'm not going to do that again. Because last time I told her I did this thing, she lost her shit. And I just don't want to, I don't want to deal with that. So then there's avoidance. So if you want honesty, if you truly want honesty, you have to allow a space to where you can let that person come to you. And you both have that ultimate goal of like healing and coming back together and reconnecting. So I think sometimes it's like we want to hold on to that, that thing that, that, um, I don't know whether it was like infidelity or whether it was gambling or whether it was like a white lie or whether he came home two hours late, whatever it is, we hold on to it. And then the next argument, we throw it back at them. And so we've never truly forgiven them. And then like kind of having the relationship rot from within because we're so committed to holding on to that. What's the word I'm looking for? Um, Like not indiscretion. Uh, Sorry, I'm totally blanking. But whatever it is that they did, we're holding on to that with like such commitment that we are like jeopardizing the relationship for that. So when it comes to anti-fragile relationship, the idea is that you can have something that's strong or you can have something that literally takes on the strength of the opposition. So we are fortified through that fire, like we're forged through that fire. And it's not something that's going to weaken the marriage, but actually enhance it. Yeah. I mean, I think indiscretion was probably the, I think that landed the plane also, or like infraction or whatever is that, you know, and people do collect all those things. They collect Mm -hmm. them and then it's like, okay, well now here are all the reasons why I can't trust you or I can't be vulnerable with you or I have to control things. And they continuously try to, you know, reinforce that, that bias that like I, you are this and I am that, whatever those Mm -hmm. things are. And, and like the anti-fragile at the end where you're like, those are the things that fortify the relationship. I totally agree and believe that as well. And it takes a special kind of work, you know, to get Mm -hmm. to a place where it's like, oh, we are approaching the fire. (laughs) We are in the fire. (laughs) This is going to wind up being good for us. You know, like most people are just terrified. They're like, do anything to avoid coming close to the fire. And then what that winds up creating is a lot of resentment and repression. Mm -hmm. And because people are built to change and built say to change, they're built to evolve and to grow and to learn and to, you know, become different iterations of themselves. And some people are more, you know, oriented towards that where they're like actively seeking that. And then some people learned throughout life from like, oh, you're really perfectly happy and content, like truly happy and content, just having your life be like this, you know? Mm-hmm. And usually they're partnered with someone who's the opposite. That's like, I want to <laughs> grow. Let's, you know, do new things. Let's, you know, kill the egos and see what happens and, you know, take this mind altering substance. And so, yeah, you know, like for, for my husband and I, we look at those things where we're like, oh fuck, okay, well we have tools and it's taken years and years of being committed, you know, to not living in ordinary, resentful, repressed kind of life in order to accumulate those tools to where, when we look at, we're going into some of the tough stuff or going to hard things where we look at it as we know that we will be better on the other side. And that can be so hard for so many people if they're like, but I'm already like so sleep deprived and momming and doing this and I've got a job and I have all this stuff. And now it's also time for us to have like a relationship, like a death cycle, you know, like in our relationships and all of that, like that too. And uh, I try to remind myself over and over again, as especially as Jordan and I are going through like the initial like, oh, fuck 
we're going to have a baby and like all these things are going to have to change. And like, how do we feel about this? And the first one is like, I thought I was going to be really excited about having a pregnant body. I thought I did like a lot of work on this to where yeah. I'm like, I want this. I've waited for this. We're excited. We experienced pregnancy loss last year. So I'm like, I'm going to look at every single thing and I'm going to be grateful for it. I'm going to be so grateful. And now it's happening. And I'm like, fuck, fuck. Like I thought I was, I thought I chose this route to think about this and feel about this. And now this is actually what's playing out. And so I'd say like, you know, for Jordan and I, we're even in that now where I'm like, man, we're just maybe a couple more conversations before we reach peace, before we reach harmony, before we reach like, we're really deeply connected, but it's going to come after a little season here of like a lot of tears and a lot of, oh shit. And a lot of like question marks and like, where is this going? And that's temporary. Mm. You know, and I'm sure you've learned that too. Like when it gets hard and you're like, what the fuck are we doing here? Like it's, it's temporary, you know, mm. and something even better is going to wind up happening on the other side of it. Yeah. It's tough. You have to decide how delicate you want your union to be, right? Is it as, as fragile as he forgets to take out the trash for three weeks in a row. And then all of a sudden he's a piece of shit husband. He's lazy. We do this castrating, right? Like this emotional castrating that we do. So for me, so my husband has like really bad ADD, like really bad ADD. And it shows up with him zoning out a lot. It shows up with him maybe not seeing my needs right away or like maybe areas where I really need help. I'm like falling short with laundry, whatever it is, right? Like he can get tunnel vision very easily. And it took a lot of work on my end to always assume the best out of him, like always give him the benefit of the doubt. Like I married an incredible man who loves me and loves my kids. And like he is owed that like indefinitely, not like he gets 10 benefits of the doubt. And then all of a sudden I'm going to go and castrate him right away because he didn't do X, Y, or Z. It's like, no, that's the love of my life. And I'm always going to give him the benefit of the doubt. And when I find myself belittling him in my head or criticizing him or blaming him. I have to quickly separate myself from that thought. That's not me. That's not mine. That's my habit. That's my loop that I have been caught in for however many years because of whatever reasons. I'm going to choose that I don't want that to be my inner dialogue. I'm like, thank you, but no thank you and push it aside and then go back to that other perspective. And most of the time, if you approach a man and you're like, I'm sure you had a good reason for this. What was it? And he'll give you some like something you never would have seen because we are just so fundamentally different. The way we see everything is so fundamentally different. You're like, okay, that actually kind of makes sense from where you're coming from. And you don't have to approach it with hostility or judgment or like let it ruin your fucking day, right? Like, so just remember that you chose that person. They chose you. You both fucking love each other. And at the end of the day, no matter how hard it gets, you're going to figure it out. So not to be not to be mistaken with your feelings or your thoughts, because I think that's also really tricky. So if we're in this place where we're emotional and again, like all you see is the lows, you have to know that that's where you're at. So you have to kind of do that pattern interrupt to be able to get a higher perspective and to see the gratitude. Otherwise, you're not, you're getting like a very distorted version of your reality. Yeah. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's hard sometimes like to do the zoom out and to make Mm -hmm. the takes conscious effort to shift from, I really want to believe that if you didn't take the trash out this week, everything in me wants to believe that it's because you don't give a fuck about me. You're not attracted to me anymore. You don't love this family. You don't want to be in this relationship. Like everything in me wants to make you a piece of shit. (laughs) You didn't do this thing. When Mm -hmm. every good part of me, like higher self part of me, whatever you want to call it, 
is like, no, he's just forgotten. He's a human and I chose him and I love him and we just need to have a conversation and this is my shit, mm-hmm. you know? And so it can be tough, you know, like I, I have my moments and I know that, that other people who are listening to the show have their moments too, where it's like, man, I just like get in it and I can't get out of it. And I'm just like, wow, I am really wallowing in self-pity here. So like, let me just go in my, you know, in the room that I'm recording in is my office slash is also kind of like, like a place where I read and I come and meditate and I do all these things. And like, let me just go in my room and just like have a little pity party for myself and like process this out for myself so that I don't give it to the person that I love. Because if I give it to him, like my whole life is ruining is like getting in ruins around me you know, and it's something that I'm playing an active role in, but it doesn't mean don't mention, Hey, can you, can you take the trash? (laughs) Like, it doesn't mean like I got to go process it for myself and then just ignore whatever's either happening or not happening. You know, Mm -hmm. it's a more nuanced conversation than that, but just brings up, you know, if you want to have like an anti-fragile marriage, you need to, you need to be willing to take a hundred percent responsibility for the role that you play and everything that you're doing, you know? Yeah. And that's tough. And how easy, it sounds ridiculous, but I think probably most listeners, including myself, we've been there where something so ridiculous, like a trash can overflowing, all of a sudden leads to he doesn't love me. I'm not desirable. If he loved me, he wouldn't be ignoring the chores around the house. He wouldn't be leaving it up to me. It's like, that doesn't even make logical sense. No. Right. To go from one point to another. So like you have to kind of have to laugh at it and just acknowledge how ridiculous sometimes it can be and then see how you can figure out how do you disperse the duties around the house or the duties around the business in a way that becomes more automatic. And then once you have that conversation, it becomes a habit. You don't have to have it anymore. But it's just, it's like divvying out those jobs, which is why it's important to be like, this is your role. This is my role. Like he feeds the dogs. That's not my jam. That's what he does. So we don't have to have that conversation. Or if it's not out, if he forgot, I'll just like send him a text or give him a quick reminder like, hey, did do X, Y, Z. I don't have to like attack him and you're lazy and so forgetful and look at your ADD. That's not helping anyone. And that's not how you talk to someone you love. Right. Oh yeah. yeah. Behavior change doesn't happen. Like true behavior change, authentic behavior change doesn't happen if you just lay on shame really thick, you know, (laughs) just like shame you into submission. I don't know. That could be really, that, that, I mean, that sounds like a really nice kinky scene, but it doesn't work in like everyday people life. Mm -mm. Hannes, thank you. This conversation was like a lot of different things which I imagine is a lot like your personality is not just this one component. It's not just mom. It's not just wife. It's not just, you know, agency owner, adult performer, whatever it is, it's multifaceted, you know? And so I appreciate having you and your work and the story on the show. And I'm so grateful, like so many different categories that we had conversations in lots of different people in our audience would really appreciate, you know, they might like really resonate and be into the first portion or the middle portion or the last portion here. But either way, I definitely enjoyed getting to know you and having you on the show. Thank you so much. And if people want to hang out with you even beyond this show, I think they can listen to you more. Your show's called Chatting with Candice. Yes. Yes. So they can find you there or where else would you like for them to maybe get connected with you? All of my socials are Candice Horback. So you can just find me there. I'm probably the most active on Twitter, Instagram. Those are where I kind of hang out. But thank you so much. This was amazing. You're a great host. And I hope that your listeners got something beneficial and fun out of the conversation. Yes, ma'am. I appreciate you. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. If you loved it, be sure to subscribe so you never miss a new episode. And if you extra, extra loved it, make sure to leave a five-star review. I'll see y'all next week.